church, right? This is what it's about. We're part of a kingdom. This is a family. Man, it's so cool. I love that. You know, and, and I, um, I'd like to encourage you guys to, and it may be tough sometimes. I know Sunday's like the day of rest, and I get that. But uh, the 9 o'clock on the last Sunday of the month, 9 o'clock service for prayer is so good. And if you can swing it and you can make it out early, hang out for prayer for an hour. We have bagels afterwards and then hear a message after that. It's great. You know, it's so worthwhile for us. Like that's, I mean, that's, that's where we should be, right? We should be in that state. We should be in that state where we're in the presence of the Lord all the time, walking in the spirit, walking in the fear of the Lord, you know, just, just fixing our eyes on him. And I say it all the time. So uh, you guys are going to get tired of me if you're not already. But um, so I just wanted to encourage you guys to, to do that if you can. You know, it's, I mean, that's where things happen. You know, that's where the life happens. It's when we're in the presence of Almighty God, when we're humble before him, when we're bearing ourselves before him, he starts to change us and make us desire the things that he desires. And we pursue the things that he wants us to pursue. You know, we cast off our own presuppositions. We cast off our own biases. We lock into the word and we lock into his spirit and lock into fellowship with him. Like that is the Christian life. That is the walk. That's what we should be doing. Um, so I would encourage you guys to do that. But let's, uh, we're back into 1 John, right? So I've been going through 1 John. It's a good, it's a good challenge. And uh, so for me, because I, I like, the topical thing, sometimes it's a little easier, I think, you know, because, you know, you get locked into a book, and, and uh, there was a video that we watched, or that we've watched up on, uh, on Friday nights at Counterculture, um, and uh, it's like, you know, I forget which, it was a pastor who said, you know, Paul, Paul can write some things that are difficult to understand sometimes, you know, so, and you get that when you're reading, and you're going through a book, and you're going, what in the world does that mean? You know, women should cover the heads because of the angels. Well, what is that? What in the world does that mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. So you run into those kind of things. But this, this was actually, this has been such a great study for me to just get into the book of John. So we're finishing up chapter two this morning. And, um, and so we're in 2, 18 through 28. That's going to be the, the portion of scripture we're going to um, we're going to go through this morning. So let's just read that, and then we'll lift it up to the Lord. Uh, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be evident that they are not, they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. 
These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him remains in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and it is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you remain in him. Now little children remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not draw back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness also has been born of him. All right, Lord, I just, uh, I lift up this message, this word to you, Lord God. Um, the service, Lord, I, I just pray that you would, that your word would go out, that, that we would be all moved by, by your word to take one step closer to you, to draw near to you a little bit more, to become more like you. I pray, God, that you would, uh, you would work in this body, that we would be mighty in spirit, that we could grow in you, that we would be evangelists, that we would be making disciples, that we would be walking in righteousness, not being deceived by the things that are out there in this world, the things that are anti-Christ. I pray that we would be wise um, and uh, that we would just remain in you. So I pray, Almighty God, that, um, that you would just work in us today. I thank you for this. I pray that I would be out of the way and that your word would just do what it's set out to do. So I praise you, Father, and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. <clears throat> so this term, Antichrist, right? You know, so I don't want to get into an eschatological you know, end times kind of thing. Because um, although there is an aspect of that in this passage, you know, when, when John says, children, it is the last hour. And then he backs it up and says, how do we know it's the last hour? Because there's Antichrist. And that's what you heard, you know? So, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, John is the only one to use the term Antichrist. And it's in these passages, he doesn't use it in Revelation. You know, we can conflate the idea of the beast with the Antichrist. Um, if John wrote Revelation, then there would be a good chance, which, I mean, he did write Revelation, but there would be a good chance that, that he would use the same terminology. You know, so, so I think that there's a little bit of a difference there, but I'm not going to get into all that because that's a big discussion, and people have been talking about this stuff for years and years. Um, and it's, I don't know if that's really... What's important right now, anyway? What's that? Well, I'm going to tell you who the, any, the spirit of Antichrist is. There you go. Um, so, uh, and what's cool about this passage, so when you read this in context and you start to understand where John was, I believe he was in Ephesus at the time when he was writing this, and there, were, there was this faction of Gnostics that were around. There was a particular Gnostic, which we'll get into. Um, but when he says, when you see these things, when you see Antichrist, and there are many Antichrists, and you heard that Antichrist is coming. When I looked through like a bunch of different commentaries and old, old time preachers and reading what they had to say about this, it's so cool because it, it brings them back. This, this reference brings it back to Matthew 24. When Jesus says there will be many false prophets who will come out. Now, these people who were in John's time would have been contemporaries. They're contemporaries of John. John saw that and heard that. So 
a good chance that these people may have been there and, and heard Jesus talking about that. And he says, when you see these things, you know? And so, so it's a reference that you could, you could kind of make the correlation there that John was talking about what Jesus was saying. You know, this is the last hour. How do we know that? Because there are antichrists. Why? Well, Jesus said there would be antichrists. There would be false prophets. There would be people coming in his name, representing him, saying he, they are the Christ. There would also be false teachers. So there are two different points there with antichrist. Um, so the only issue with that, and this is kind of an interesting thing, um, is the age of the book of 1 John. You know, so we get into all that kind of stuff to see how it fits, because con context is important. Um, but anyway, so I won't get into all that stuff. But it does make sense that these people would have heard Jesus say these things. You know, and so... John is pointing this out. And then as you go through the book of 1 John, he references uh, in 4, uh, John uh, chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, he talks about Antichrist again, the spirit of Antichrist, and we'll get into that. But, but it's so interesting because the book itself seems to be a book to encourage the believers to not be deceived by the false teachings that were going on at that time. And that's what it was focused on, because there, when he says that, that many, um, there are many antichrists, and they came out from us, if they remained with us, see that, I almost fell, um, if they remained with us, then they would be of us. And you look at this, if you go back to 1 John, where it says, um, uh, if we walk in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. You know, so it's like, this is, it's all about this fellowship of the body. And if we're walking in the light, if we have fellowship. And so, so it's, uh, he, was, he was coming against this idea of Gnosticism at the time. Um, the, a Gnostic, I mean, there's a couple different factions. There were a bunch of different factions of Gnosticism. But I guess, essentially, a Gnostic would, would either claim that Jesus did not come in the body as a human being, or that he did not come, and he, or he came as a human, but he wasn't God. And so those are two points that the Gnostics would believe. Um, they would also be, a lot of them would, would suggest that anything of the flesh is evil. Everything. You know, so there is no usefulness in this body. Our actions, everything is spiritual, and that's what's important. So these are, these are lies that are being presented to the, to the people in John's time. Uh, if, you, um, if you understand the history and who was around at the time, right? John could very well have been talking about somebody very particular when he said antichrist, when he used that terminology in a singular form, not meaning something that's way, way out 2,000 years, but something that's actually going on right then and there. And there was a guy named Serenthus, he was a Jew by race and religion. He studied in Alexandria. He was, not, he was most active in Western Asia, spreading his false teaching about the person of Christ. And these are the things that he taught. This was a contemporary of John. This is somebody who was right in that area. There are two of them. I forget the other guy's name, but um, there's an apocryphal book that mentions both of them. But there's also historians. Um, uh, Eusebius, I think, mentions uh, Serenthus. But it says these are the things that he believed, and this is the, these are the things that he taught. He taught that the world was created not by God, but by a far 
by a power far separated from him. He taught that Jesus was the natural son of Joseph and Mary, although he was more righteous, prudent, and wise than other men. That at Jesus' baptism, the Christ descended upon him in the likeness of a dove, providing him, excuse me, miraculous powers. That at his death, the Christ departed from him, so that it was only the human Jesus that died and rose again. These views are, are, became known as Serinthianism. But when you consider that, Jesus was just a man, just a man, until the Christ lighted on him, and he became, you know, some, he could do miraculous things. And, but then the spirit, the, this, this Christ left him when he died on the cross, and he was raised human. It wasn't a glorified body. It was raised human. So if you, if you read John, you can see, like, this, this is a battle right now. People are walking away believing these kind of things. You know, so, so John is, a, is going against that. So let's look at what the term antichrist, at least from, uh, there's a couple, there's a, a bunch of different ways you could understand, but I think there are two that really make the most sense. There'd be two different ways, two different meanings for antichrist. The first meaning is something that would be in the place of Christ, a false Christ, someone who would take that place and become that, um, that image of Christ. The second would be something that opposes Christ, one who opposes Christ, or the spirit of Antichrist, things that would oppose Christ, things that would set themselves up as Christ, as Messiah, you know. Um, so, um, so I think that these are important things for us to get a hold of. And I, I'm... It's always a battle, some, not always, but sometimes when you're going through the scripture like this, uh, to, to take it and make it practical for us. Because the goal is that we, we read God's word, we grow in our understanding, but then we, grow, we learn how to live just a little bit more like, like we're supposed to, be a little bit more like Christ. So how do we take these things you know, because we could see outside of us, if you, if you understand and you look at, well, what's in opposition to Christ? What takes the place of Christ? If we look around, we can see all kinds of things like that. There's a lot of antichrist, the spirit of antichrist out there, you know, coming against Christ, coming against who he really is. And that's what I want to get into this morning. The things that come against and challenge who Christ really is. And not just out there, but in here, what are the things that challenge who Christ really is? Are we putting all of our, our trust and our hope and our faith in him? Or are we misplacing? Are, are, we, are we putting something ahead of him that should be him, but, it, but we're putting something else in, in, in his place? Um, so, we get back to it in 1 John 2, 22 through 23. It says, who is the liar except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Again, it refers back to 1 John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You know, and John is is referencing, you know, it's like 
Well, what we have heard, we heard the word of God being spoken by Jesus Christ. We heard that. We, what have we seen? We saw him do miracles, raise people from the dead. We saw him taken up to heaven. We saw him ascend. We saw him resurrected. Like these aren't things that are just done by some guy. You know, there has to be something else here. And so he's backing up his point of view, the, the, the truth. He's backing it up. Um, and not only that, not that he was just this, this deity, but that um, he was also human, that what we have touched with our hands. You know, when he presented himself before the, the disciples and Thomas, you know, the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas, you know, he's like, touch me. Go ahead. Put your hand here. Put your hand here. You know, so it's like he was both God and man, and he had to be. And that's where I want to get to, too, the importance of understanding what that means. In 1 John 4, 1 through 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now it is already in the world. How important is it for us to understand what we believe? How important is it for us to have a solid doctrinal foundation that when these things that oppose Christ or take the place of Christ, we can, we can stand on the truth of God's word and we can say, no, that's not, that's not right. And this is why, you know, like it's so important. Can't say it enough. But I'll stop saying it for a second. anyway. Um, so let's look at this. Although John, spirit of Antichrist, although John was referencing something at that, that very time, uh, the application for today, as I mentioned, be what is in opposition to Christ is Antichrist. Can we be, be deceived by the spirit of Antichrist as children of God? And I think that we can. Now, not deceived into that we lose our salvation, and this is a whole other conversation we can have, but I don't believe that. I believe we can be deceived into not bearing any fruit for him, and being 30-fold fruit instead of 100-fold fruit. And I think that that's the goal. With the enemy's goal is to prevent the church of God from bearing as much fruit as it possibly can. That's what I believe. And we're called to bear much fruit, right? That's what we're here for. Um, so... So let's look at the importance of what it means for Jesus to be both man and God. So what's the significance of him being in the flesh, right? Hebrews 4.15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he was here. He felt the temptation. He felt all that we feel. That's huge. Think about when you present yourself to him uh, and you remember that. It's like he does, he's not far away. He doesn't, he gets it from a personal experience kind of way. Not just because he's God and he knows everything, but he was, he actually experienced it. It's so important. In Philippians 2a, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedience to the point of death, 
death on a cross. God can't die. Death had to be, had to happen. He had to be human for that to happen. He had to become one of us for that to happen. Because the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. The law is, it's God's law. It's true. He has to uphold his own law. So Jesus had to be a man to die on the cross. Romans 5, 15, but the gracious gift is not like the offense. For if by the offense of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God uh, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. We have what we have because Jesus became a man. We have his Holy Spirit. We have life in him. The gifts are ours. Romans 5.19, for as though the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. He had, because Adam was a man who sinned, Jesus had to become a man to take care of that. It has to be the, he became the new Adam. He had to. That was how things were set up. That's how it has to be. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He became a man, became poor. He gave up his, his heavenly throne become one of us so that we could have all the riches that are available through him. That's huge. These are, this is so important. Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So not only was he man, and, that's, and the importance of that is that he was God in human flesh. Galatians 4.4 through 5, but when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. He was born under the same law that he had to deal with so that we could become sons and daughters for him. How awesome is that? We are his sons and his daughters. We're one family. Like I said when I first got up here, it's real. It's true. If we belong to Christ, we're one body. Man, this is so important. Ah, it's so important for us to get a hold of. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Hebrews 10.4-10, therefore when he comes into the world, he says, you have not desired sacrifice and offering, but have prepared a body for me. You have not taken pleasure in whole burnt offerings and offering for sin. Then I said, behold, I have come. It is written of me in the scroll of the book to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and offerings for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By the body of Christ... By his physical body, we have been sanctified. He was obedient unto death. He gave us an example of what we are supposed to be. He walked among us so that we could see that that's the ideal that we're aiming for. That's where we're headed. 
That's what we want to be. We want to be like him. And we have that perfect example in him. And it was so important for him to be the human. It couldn't be any other way. It couldn't be any other way. So it's imperative that Jesus was human. But it's imperative that Jesus is God. Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. John 1, 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. There is no debate whether Jesus is God or not. The scripture is clear that he was God. Without, without him, nothing was made. I mean, it's, it's so plain. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If he's not God, then he's not the Messiah. If he's not God, he, he's not resurrected. And everything we believe is meaningless. It's worthless if he's not resurrected. If he's not God, then he has the curse of Adam and can't atone for our sins. He can't do it. If he's just a man, he can't do it. But if he's God, he can deal with that. God can't die. God was resurrected. He defeated death. Jesus must be God and man. So it's important to understand, like, these are the things that the Gnostics were attacking, that they were fighting against, that they were this Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. But now, how does that apply to us? Right? How can we take this and, and make this useful for bearing fruit for us in our personal lives, in our families, in church, everywhere? So let's talk about the first thing, right? Something that is in place of Christ. And this is where it can get real personal, and it should get personal. You know, we should really be willing to honestly look at ourselves Look at our situations. Look at things that maybe we've, we've put in, th that we seek instead of Christ, where we should be seeking Christ to give us those things. You know, we can fall into that. It's pretty easy. You know, um, <clears throat> are we allowing teachings that contradict the word of God? Are we allowing those teachings that contradict the word of God make us unfruitful? You know, there's a lot of teachings out there, and we can get a hold of those things. A lot of, um, whether it's New Age, whether it's, I mean, right now, the biggest, the biggest thing is the, are the cultural things that are going on, and we all know it. I mean, we're challenged with this stuff all the time. You know, we hear it on the news, you know, all these things that are totally against even rational thinking, and, and they're being presented to us. All the time, it's being fed to us. And we have to understand that those things are anti-Christ. They're against what truth is. And we have to be able to stand firmly on the word of God against those things. You know, the um, uh, progressive church, the woke church, all these things are lies. They're not true. And if we know God's word, we can stand against them. And we can 
we can lovingly speak against them and encourage other people with these things. Are we allowing feelings and ideas and opinions contradict the word of God? You know, we can do that too. We can have an idea about something and not, not be willing to allow God's word to check that idea. And we get stuck in that and we, get, we, can, be, we can be just strung along thinking one thing. And you see it, and I brought this up last time, with this, the idea of forgiveness, you know? These, this, like, um, there are hurts that are so bad, and I, I get it. Not that I've experienced it, but I, I think I get it to a point that, yeah, you can be hurt real bad. But what's Jesus say about forgiveness in that? So my idea might be not lined up with God's word, and I think I'm justified. Well, you're not. We're not, if that's the case. We want to take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. And how do you do that? Does it line up? Does it line up with God's word? We're told to forgive. Man, that's, so that's just one example. You know, so you have to be careful with that. Are we allowing anything to come in and take the place of our Savior? James 4.4, 4, the world is enmity with God. We talked last time about loving the world, and that's right prior to this passage. And Jesus offers us so many things that we might pursue other things in place of him. Where do we go for rest? Where do we go for rest? You know, and this is just think about these things. You know, this is, this is an indictment or anything. Just, I'm just throwing it out there so we can think about where do I go for rest? What does Jesus say about it? 11, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, we got to be going to Jesus for rest. Where do we find our peace? John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you, not like the world's peace. You know, we go for, to him for peace. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And Isaiah 26.3, I love this passage. This was like, there used to be a, these albums that I had. I think they were on cassette. No, they were CDs, yeah. So if you guys know what cassettes are even, but, uh, but, but on CDs. Um, and it was scripture memory songs. No, I had one of those too, my Valari. Um, but uh, um, but this, this passage was, they turned it into a song and it was so good. And it said, um, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know, where do we go for peace? You know? We need to just present ourselves to him. We need to pursue him for peace. You know, when things are crazy, crazy in our homes or crazy at work or crazy wherever, if we can, if we can have that idea of, Lord, I, I, I don't want to pursue anything that could take the place of you. I need peace. I want you. You know, that's, that's kind of the idea. Where do we get hope? Psalm 146.5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, 
whose hope is in the Lord his God. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope has to be in him. Where are you going to put hope, you know, if it's not Christ? I mean, that's it. We have hope because he was resurrected from the dead. We have hope. Ah, oh, it's so good. Second Peter 1, 3. Um, where do we find everything that we need? Second Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We get everything we need. Look at what Jesus says. Don't be anxious for anything, right? Don't be anxious. What are you being anxious for? God knows what you need. How often do we just go to him for our needs? How often do we strive for these things and get caught up and uh, not, and there's a reality to life. You know, I'm not, not saying that there isn't. But there's also the, the, the real reality is the presence of Almighty God. And if we're in his presence, then we are confident that our needs are supplied for. We're confident. Only two more pages. All right. So what's... What's the answer? John gives us an answer in this passage. What's the answer for us to not look in the wrong direction and to put things in place of Christ? In 1 John 2.24, he says this, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. We need to abide in him and let his words abide in us. John 15, four through seven, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide means remain, be in the presence of, stay with, stay part of, stay connected to. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Then he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Where are we going for our joy? We need to be going to him for our joy. And how do we get that? By abiding in him. You know, there's such a, there's such a reality like it is reality. He says, can you say such a reality? There is a reality. Like the reality of things is this. It is this. If we're struggling, if we're anxious, if we're, if we're, if we're bitter, if we're resentful, if, we're, if we have issues, come and abide in Christ. Spend time with him. Be in his presence. Just allow yourself to be honest before almighty God and broken and humble. We need to be that. If we allow that to happen, and I mean, and I, again, I, I say this all the time, I mean like brutally honest, 
brutally honest before Almighty God. He knows anyway. <laughs> Not like you're hiding it, you know? But, but it's us being willing to accept our own failings that now allows God to change who we are in that state. If we're in his presence and we're denying those things and not willing to present them to him, then he can't do anything, you know? So if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him or we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, you know? We have to confess our sins. It's like a realization. Yeah, God, I'm a mess up. These are the things I can't deal with. Help me with these things. And God's like, okay, all right, let's start the process. You know, and that process starts with abiding in him. If we stay close to him, seek him for our sustenance, find our rest, our hope, our peace, help in him, then we'll find his joy and our joy will be complete. So don't be deceived. Draw near to him. And we sang that song, um, draw me close to you. And it's a good song. But we're given a command on how like God works in that drawing part. And it says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So we have to take that first step. It's like the Israelites, you know, when they're going to cross, I think it's the Jordan. And the priests are carrying the stuff and he's like, you got to step in the water. You got to take that step. As soon as they took the step, the waters parted. But they had to take the step. <laughs> right? It's like, okay, um, this is going to be fun. Um, but that's the reality of it. Like we have a responsibility here. And that's, and, um, and so, but we're given that command. But what's cool about that command is that there's a promise right after it, you know? Draw near to him and he will draw near to you, you know? Ah, that's what we want. That's what we want. The other thing is to know, know the word, right? And I mentioned that before. You know, besides drawing near to him in, our, in, in his presence and being, spending time with him, he's given us his word. I was thinking about this. Like, think about what we're responsible for, right? So um, the scripture says that uh, to much who has been um, uh, given, much will be required. So we're essentially responsible for the things we've been given. We're called to be good stewards of all those things. We've been given the spirit of almighty God lives in us. We've been given the word of truth, God's holy word. That's some pretty heavy duty responsibilities and they shouldn't be taken lightly. This is important, you know, for us to, to understand that those things, like we're going to be required to give an account, I think, for how we dealt with all of this, you know? So, so we, have, we have a pretty big responsibility. And how are we handling that? You know, we need to know the word of God. Colossians 3.17, and oh, I won't jump to that, actually. But we need to know the word of God, um, and we need to understand it. Because doctrine is important, but we can't get hung up and argue about that stuff either. You know, but we have to be able to line ourselves up with God's truth. God's word is truth. So therefore, hey, let me line up with truth and it's good. The best way to deal with anything, the best way to 
to begin the process of fixing anything is truth. It's the only way. You know, you can pretend that, you know, uh, this uh, fantasy, you know, this is going to help things out. You might be able to suspend your suffering for a while, but that's about it. You know, it's just going to be suspended because the reality is eventually going to kick in. You know, so it's a good thing for us to, to think, okay, so like, you know, things are, things are tough in, in whatever relationships, you know, whether it's family or, or uh, marriage or church even, you know, uh, work, whatever. You know, it, it's good for us to, to question, okay, so these things are tough and how much do I have to do with that bad relationship? You know, Jesus says, or the word of God says that, um, to be at peace with all men as much as is up to us. So it's on us to try and be peaceful. It's on us to try and do that. The best way to do that is to be honest. You know, so you can't get anywhere by not being honest. Anywhere good, anyway. Um, and it's hard, and you might suffer for being honest. But really, that's the only, the only thing that you can do. So I want to end it with this. In Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, you know, we can, we can maybe find peace in knitting. My wife knits, so she likes it. She tries to get me to knit. I'm like, that's too girly. Too, too much of a man to do that. Um, but, uh, or reading a book or whatever. But in everything we do, turn our eyes back to the Lord and give thanks, you know, because he's the one who's giving us that peace. He's the one who's meeting those needs. So know him. Don't let anything take the place of the Savior. So know him.